Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 27th of September 2010. Now, newcomers should go into the CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website and you can download hundreds of hours of talks I've given where I try, I try, mind you, it's a very difficult job because there's so much of it, to give you a history and a shortcut too to understanding this big world order, where you're going, why you've got the United Nations up there, uh, why everything's international, globalist and so on, and why basically governments are just the front men that sign the legalities that really put laws on you on behalf of supranational bodies, in other words, bodies that you don't elect. And I try to give the history of a, a lot of it. I point to some books as well once in a while to show you how it came about and give you some of the organizations to help start it up. But really, even that goes back to the late 1800s. It's much older than that. It was an organized, an organized um, organization. Uh, set up a long time ago to take basically over the world where an elite thought they had the right to rule it and uh, of course it was very tempting for the world's existing elites to join it. They saw the sense of it with all their experts telling them yes we'll all be onto a good thing here we'll all survive down the, the road and your depopulation programs, all of that's all part of it and that's why they set up their departments of depopulation at the United Nations. They call it the, the population department, this depopulation, if you really look into their agendas, which is up on their websites. So while you're in there, remember to buy the books and so on I have for sale because you keep me going. I don't ask advertisers for money. I don't bring them on as guests to scare you and then and sell you stuff, sell you the antidotes. And uh, it's up to you to keep me going. Now for the U.S. to Canada... You can buy these books, which are different from the usual history books, They're not just dates, times, generals, and wars and stuff. I give you uh, the, the con games behind the controlling of the masses, basically, how it's still done today. And you can purchase from the U.S. to Canada by personal check using an international postal money order. That's good. You can also use um, PayPal to donate or to purchase. If you want to purchase, send a separate email after your donation with your name, address, and the order. And you'll see where to, to do that on the website, cuttingthroughmatrix.com. Across the rest of the world, same idea. Some people send cash, they use PayPal to donate or to purchase MoneyGram and Western Union. Western Union, mind you, is kind of steep with their charge that they put on top of it. So MoneyGram is a bit cheaper. PayPal is probably the cheaper way to go or send, to send cash. So far, they will change at the banks here. So far. And uh, remember, there's discs there too, some with about 50 shows in them. And uh, when all this goes down, which it will eventually, because they're talking about blocking off different sites and internet sites and so on, they're doing it in Australia already, and other Commonwealth countries will follow suit. So uh, one day they'll just get yanked, and that's that's it, basically. If you have the some of the histories there, you can always pass them on. Hopefully, whoever cares to listen in the next generation, uh, however few that might be. 
Now, this is a new world order. They mean a new world order. It means a complete reordering of everything. And the best source, really, uh, to find out what they were up to um, is from Carol Quigley, Tragedy and Hope and the Anglo-American Establishment. You will see the dialectic there where the bankers and their sons, based in London primarily, a lot of them were from Germany, mind you, uh, set up this uh, system, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, with an American branch, the Council on Foreign Relations. They also helped to fund into existence the Marxist Revolution as well, which seemed to be to most folk, and they played this well, the opposing force to capitalism. No, they worked in tandem to bring about this world order. Back with more after this break. Folks, we're back and cutting through the matrix. The matrix is the system in which you're born, and you'll find it was set up by people long before you even were thought of. And it's ongoing. It's fantastic the way it's set up. And there's many compartments in it. The whole idea of compartmentalization of the mind really comes from that whole idea of the matrix. And even the movie was was, uh, well informed, obviously, the writers to put it up in such a way that there were different rooms and you thought you'd made it to the ultimate room and my goodness, there's another one behind it with a new leader and a different gang and a new boss and all the rest of it. And that's how the world is run. Uh, When the communist system, as it it was called, uh, on its broadest term, uh, it was spread across Europe and the rest of the world, uh, you'll find this in agents all over the place. And... These agents would tailor-make their definitions according to the politics of that country. Many of them fled into Britain uh, to get away from the, the Nazis because they were known communists. They were spreading uh, this, this philosophy and unrest everywhere for revolution. And they became to Britain, in fact. And it's so interesting to see that the Milibans now, the two Milibans, uh, whose father, uh, says in Wikipedia, uh, ran from Brussels uh, to get away from the Nazis in World War II, was a Marxist theorist. He was Jewish. Many of the leaders actually were. I don't know why. You have to figure that out for yourself. But um, they really grabbed on this philosophy of Marx, who again was Jewish himself. And, and really, I think it was um, Julian Huxley or George, it was actually Aldous Huxley, said really they, they transformed a, a real belief in law system, a legality system into Marxism. And he thinks that's why they basically went en masse into this new theory of communism. Anyway, here's the two Milibans that are successors uh, from their father who become basically the leaders of the Labour Party in Britain. The younger one, Ed Miliband, is now the the boss of the Labour Party and, and is openly Marxist, openly. Most folk don't even care today. Now, they already work well with another term they use, that's the Fabian Society. The Fabian Society was set up and funded by the Astor family, who became Lord Astor. They were sent over from the U.S. to fund it. And um, they were, their idea was to, rather than have a quick revolution, they would take over from within. It would take generations to do so. And, of course, they've been very successful. Uh, Tony Blair was a member of the Fabian Society, and so was Brown. And they're all members of the, the, of the Socialist International, even yet today. Uh, and they get on well with their so-called opponents because their opponents 
um, are all in the game. This idea of capitalism versus communism is all leading towards the same totalitarian rule, using a socialist system to control all the public. And the Soviet system really was a test bed for ironing out the problems. So when they did the Rees Commission in the early 50s, uh, they came out and said, yep, our idea for the foundations in America, and the congressional records actually, um, and the Dodds uh, inquiry as well, he's part of the Rees Commission, he said, yep, our job is to, this is the Rockefeller Foundation, Ford, Carnegie, and all the big boys, our job is to blend the Soviet system uh, painlessly with that of the West, and that has been done. But they also had to completely degradate the culture, degrade you, until there was nothing, there was nothing left really to hold on to. Done in such a perfectly scientific Pavlovian way, the public would just merge into it and never really think about it. It's fantastic that the, the mind has been dominated by specialists and who took over the arts, entertainment industries, um, the intelligence services, uh, even novelists were all funded by the, the cultural industry. And the cultural industry, as admitted now, was run by the CIA from the end of World War II right through uh, probably to the present time. But the declassifying stuff only goes up to the 1970s. So here you have, as I say, something which is quite fascinating to me because when David Miliband was over in, in Russia uh, on a talk show, his, I think it was his grandmother phoned in. And she had been a scientist for the Soviet Union. Of course, they were all hardline Marxists with uh, and card-carrying communists. Well, here's the offspring of them still pushing the same international through the UN, uh, totalitarian control run by experts, uh, and now they're the head of the British Labour Party. But nothing surprises me because uh, the liberals are no different. They, they use different terms for different parties and they infiltrated the whole lot of them. In fact, in an interview in Canada, Pierre Trudeau, it was on with Renan Levesque, who, and both of them were uh, communist leaders uh, back in the, the, the 50s, 40s, and the 50s and 60s. So much so that Pierre Trudeau uh, led off the Young Communist Party of Canada to the Comintern International Communist Meeting in uh, Moscow in 1952, I think it was. So the infiltration was used by many names, socialist, um, uh, labor parties, you name it, etc., etc., and even, I think, when Khrushchev was over in the States visiting, uh, they asked him about uh, the Communist Party in America. He says, oh, here we don't call them uh, communists or Marxists, we call them liberals, he said. Now, interesting term, liberalization, always using the guise of uh, fighting for freedoms for different minority groups, which gets them all on board. It gives them an, a ground army that will turn up at protests. And they networked together, of course, in the past, and even to the present time. And uh, they, do, they don't really give a darn about all the, the groups they use. They simply want numbers that will turn up and protest whatever they're told to protest as a unified group. So they pick on the, the fringe groups, etc., and they have done through time. Even George Orwell talked about it in some of his speeches um, where he went to speeches expecting to hear about the freedoms for all, and they, they, they basically talked about these socialist meetings, the freedoms for certain minorities only. And uh, that was the track that they took. So you're living in a system where bankers funded 
into existence the communist system, what became known as the communist system. Um, we find there were professors who wrote good books about uh, uh, who funded uh, or, or Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution by Anthony Sutton, who was a professor at Harvard. He a very good book. He also uh, wrote another book called Wall, uh, um, was it Wall Street and the Rise of Hitler, I think it was called. And um, excellent book, again, with, with uh, documented material, not well guesses anywhere where the funding all came from. Same big bankers. And here's the bankers, too, funding uh, the communist sides of everything as well. Now, most folk really think they're, li- they're still living in countries. Most folk really do. They still think they're living in a, in a sort of country. They don't think consciously through things. They rely on television mainly to give them what they should think about anything. And that's what Brzezinski said would happen when this technique was perfected of brainwashing. He said that uh, eventually the public will be unable to reason for themselves. They'll only be able to discuss the topics that are on the previous night's news. And that's what you'll hear. The next day, if it's Lady Gaga or whoever it happens to be, they're all prattling on about it. And, of course, they're never talking about important stuff because that's never really mentioned, at least not in any great detail. Now, <laughs> the elites have always looked upon the public, and I mean this, the same elite, even this communist elite too. Communism really was set out to be an expert-run society. Not run by working people, but experts, scientists. The first scientific society where science was to take over from all religions, and they would, they naturally have a great ed- education, and they'd have all their new theories together, which is just a religion, mind you, and it's still a theory, uh, would run the world properly, you know, the way it should be, not f- you know, free of this silly superstition. And they would churn out theories and make us all obey those theories, inject things into us, etc., even if these theories seem to be killing us. And... Um, the elite have never changed their, 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 their minds about this. And what always amazed me is why countries like Britain, uh, with an aristocracy, uh, very wealthy aristocracy, tied in with the banks, and often intermarried, in fact, like Britain, um, would back what seemed to be a takeover of what was their little kingdom or power structure. And they're not really, because, you see, these people have guarantees to go on, obviously. They're part of the system. Here is the Queen, and this is, this is from the Independent. The Queen tried to use state poverty fund to heat Buckingham Palace. Here's the, the Queen, one of the richest women in the world. Never mind the stuff they tell you about. Never mind all, think about all the stuff they've got in their own private museums that were given to them as presents down through the ages, the largest rubies and diamonds and all that kind of stuff. And that they have their own private or, uh, company who do their investments for them and do their taxes for them. So this would be going through their taxation, uh, elite characters. So it, was asked, it said here, ministers were asked if money earmarked for schools, hospitals, and low-income families could be used to meet the soaring fuel bills of Buckingham Palace. Uh, it says the Queen asked ministers for a poverty handout to help heat her palaces, but was rebuffed because they feared it would be a public relations disaster. Now, there's another article, too, that talks about her getting about 38 or 40 million dollars just for her private, pounds, sorry, for her private expenses that's supposed to go to all this stuff. But it says that the documents disclosed under the Freedom of Information Act reveal royal aides were told that the 60 million pounds worth of energy saving grants were aimed at families on low incomes, and if the money was given to Buckingham Palace instead of housing associations or hospitals, 
It could lead to adverse publicity for the Queen and the government. Of course, you know, the facade they put on is, is more important than reality to the public. It's a facade they believe. AIDS complained to ministers in 2004 the Queen's gas and electricity bills, which increased by 50% that year, stood at more than £1 million a year and had become untenable. A million pounds a year to eat that place, eh? And believe you me, they're not walking around with jackets on inside there all the time. It'll try and show you for gas coming in. And that's that's their cost. But they also got millions for cleaning their chandeliers and, you know, the odd bit here and there that they had to do. A special curtain made for the wine cellar cost about a million and a half. Back with more after these messages. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix and... It's just astonishing, really, as I say, this world, as, you, as you've read the agenda, you've watched them for years, how it works, and how they bring on situations, how they put front men in, often in different parties, in different countries even sometimes, and stir it all up, and then they come up with a solution, and we breathe sighs of relief. That's what the whole Cold War was about, when they trained children to run under their school desks in case an atom bomb was dropped. I mean, they knew darn well, hiding under a school desk was, was going to do a darn thing. Not a thing. But it was getting the, the, them trained to grow up in fear of uh, imminent annihilation. And it did work because eventually in, in the late 60s and in the 70s, you saw these people who'd grown up and just got married with maybe their first children. And they'd be in these big parades uh, protesting the wars and so on and the threats of war, nuclear disarmament. And that's exactly what they wanted to happen, was to get the protests going, give up more rights, we have to become unified as a world to stop all this nonsense. And in reality, there was never, ever the threat of nuclear war. That's how they played the game. That's how they played the game. I mean, how can, how can really um, a million or so people control a planet of billions, when you think about it? You've got to keep them off their guard all the time, uh, always on edge, never sure what's happening, living in a constant state of fear and give them real wars when, when required. Uh, that kills them down a bit too. Makes the rich richer because they own the armaments industry. And also they would, um, they had so many birds to kill with one stone, you might say. Uh, they train them to, that we've got to do something. We've had too many wars. We've got to come together and give up all our rights. And they set up the United Nations. Uh, organization to become the embryo, uh, if you like, or the nucleus of a, a world government, which of course it really is today, as we're all global, supposedly. A vague term, isn't it? We're all global. Meanwhile, you're still getting taxed, uh, and now your money, according to the Communist Manifesto, as it was written, said to be redistribution of wealth, and the Western countries, including the States and Canada, I've got to send off a lot of their tax money over to build roads in third world countries and everything else that they need, etc., etc., so that the big international corporations that already exist over there and the branches across the world can transport all their goods and we pay for it all. But what is new? You know, what's new about that? Then you have uh, uh, Ahmadinejad uh, UN speech. Uh, interesting. And the whole Western bloc, of course, because they're all allies and they've all signed agreements that they must have war with Iran, uh, walked out when he started to address the UN delegation 
and uh, the UN building and talked to the other powers. It says, um, the U.S. and other Western delegations walked out in protest during a speech by Iran's president at the U.N. in which he said most people believe the U.S. government was behind the 9-11 attacks. So they all walked out, you know. Which also tells you it was kind of pre-planned that they'd walk out. They'd have their spies and they'd know what his speech was going to be. And then it says, uh, 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 Ahmadinejad was speaking at the U.N. General Assembly in New York the U.S. was joined in its walkout by representatives from all EU countries, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and Costa Rica. The, the, the U, eh? Costa Rica is not an EU country. Anyway, the U.S. described the remarks as abhorrent and delusional. This is Mr. Ahmadinejad appeared undaunted by the protests going on to attack Zionism and Israel. And then he talks about capitalist failures. He says, Iranian president's speech was part political, uh, diatribe, part sermon, says BBC diplomatic correspondent Jonathan Marcus, a wide-ranging rep from, of his own particular worldview. The Iranian president said he would host a conference on terrorism next year and that 2011 should be the year of nuclear disarmament. Remember, Iran's building a nuclear power station. And it's so interesting that, that Canada was the main seller of the can-do reactor across the planet, to, to India, I think, too, and Pakistan and other countries like that. But that was okay then, wasn't it? But uh, they're very selective in who gets these nuclear reactors and who can become a, a really, you know, prosperous uh, and bigger first-world country. Not that Iran is, is behind them, because Iran has a, a beautiful cities and all the rest of it, definitely first-world, churn out a lot of... Um, um, top, uh, well-educated people from universities, but we're supposed to always think they live in the deserts and, and uh, cover their faces and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, that's what's happening there as they go through this pantomime here, because they do want to take uh, Iran over, and it is, as even uh, Christopher Hitchens has said in his last book, he says, this is a war. It's a war against religion, you know. There's no doubt about that at all. They standardized the world, basically, into, into an atheistic society. Scientists are, new, the, pre, are the new priesthoods. The experts tell us what to do. Anybody listens to the experts. And um, they can't have uh, religions uh, that still have adherents who will believe their church and follow their traditions before they'll believe, they follow the traditions of the government with their new traditions of the scientists. You can't have that, you see, in a standardized world system. And that's what's really going on. And they must, again, uh, and it's true, there's no doubt about it, that uh, the whole Middle East will have to become uh, flattened, probably flattened, like they've done a great job in Iraq and elsewhere. And we know from the American, the New American Century group with uh, Cheney, uh, Pearl, and all the rest of them, and, and George Bush uh, Jr., uh, they had those countries listed for annihilation before 9-11 came along, uh, beginning with Afghanistan uh, to be followed by Iraq. They published it. And uh, then it was be um, Iran and then Syria. And Israel happened to put up the same agenda. So there's a definite collusion working there, obviously. Obviously. Some are allowed to be first world and others are not. Some are allowed to be bosses and other ones are not. Back with more after these messages. Listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. 
Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix, just pointing out the inconsistencies that they give you in the media and at least adding to why things are happening and because the media certainly is not in the business of telling you, they're not supposed to tell you. It's interesting, I read an article a while ago where correspondents that were told to do investigative journalism for Fox News and they were hired on as a sort of outside contractor deal, um, did a story and... uh, uh, the Fox News squashed it. They didn't want it on because I think it brought in Monsanto and all the big boys, all their friends, you see. And uh, it went right up to the Supreme Court and I read it from the newspaper and the the judge said at the end, he says, well, he says the media and the news makers have no need or reason to tell you the truth. There's nothing about giving you news that has to be truthful. There's no law ever written that it has to be the truth. And that is the fact that is the actual truth. Uh, their job is to condition you. They're an essential arm of controlling the general population. That's what they are. Always have been, of course. People at one time knew that. Even my dad's age, when he was younger, they all knew that uh, the media barns were part of a global elite with an agenda, and you couldn't trust anything that they said. Now, it's interesting, too, that... Uh, the depopulation program is rampaging ahead. It really is rampaging ahead. There are people dying like crazy, not just from bacterial warfare or the aerial spraying. That's a big part of it, sure. But I've talked to people who harvest organs, harvest organs for transplants, and they fly over the U.S. to where someone's killed themselves recently, generally. And the business is booming right now in the U.S. with male and female, uh, yeah, young and old, uh, because there's no work. And it's not mentioned anywhere in the media. It was from the horse's mouth, a guy who actually does this. And uh, they travel, of course, these guys in teams. Some go for, go for the kidneys, some for the heart, some for the lungs, some for the heart and lungs, some for the liver. And um, they see the boarded up uh, shops everywhere they go to the cities that they went to a few years ago that were prosperous. There's half the traffic on the road, but unemployment is really going through the roof, way beyond what they're telling it in the public, of course. And, of course, that is the agenda for uh, the Western world, as Britain well knows now. They have suffered it for years. America is now going through the transition phases. They're brought down to uh, pretty well near a third world status. That will come. And out of it will come the new world order where the United Nations will allocate food to every region, as I like to call it. That's in their charter, by the way. And uh, you'll have to keep your population down. Uh, and, you, and they'll still leave it to you as a nation. That's the only time they'll mention your nation state. That's when they tell you, well, we can't give you more rations this year. Uh, we're going to share it with so-and-so and so-and-so, but uh, you have to find ways of depopulation. And, of course, once I've got that going, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll just reduce your quota every year. That's how the world's to be run. Depopulation has always been a big problem for the elite all down through the ages. When the people start to populate, uh, they're well fed at times. They get wars going. Uh, sometimes famine wipes them out, of course, through plague. Um, and, and war itself has been a great thing for causing famine. When the guys are all fighting, no one's farming at all. So this has all been used as far back as the days of Greece. And, um, you know, we always think again, because we're so stupid, we're trained to be stupid and not think. Uh, and, and again, it's because we're so naive and we're so generally nice uh, as people 
We can't imagine our, our leaders doing anything nasty to us. It is unimaginable because you're fed so much propaganda that, for instance, the military would never do anything nasty to you. It's your military, and you're proud of those guys in the uniform for some reason, and it's been brainwashed into you. Here's an article here. It goes back to uh, Sunday, the 21st of April, 2002, and it's from The Observer. Millions were in germ war tests. I've read this before, but it's time to read it again because it ties in with the spraying article I'll read later. It says, The Ministry of Defence turned large parts of the country, that's Britain, into a giant laboratory to conduct a series of secret germ warfare tests on the public. A government report just released provides for the first time a comprehensive official history of Britain's biological weapons trials between 1940 and 1979. See, that's the cut-off date. The stuff has happened since. That will get released in in, 2050 or something. Many of these tests involved releasing potentially dangerous chemicals and microorganisms over vast swaths of population without the public being told. While details of some secret trials have emerged in recent years, the 60-page report reveals new information about more than 100 covert experiments. The report reveals that military personnel were briefed to tell any inquisitive inquirer the trials were part of research projects into weather and air pollution. Isn't that kind of familiar, folks, eh? The tests carried out by government scientists at Port and Down were designed to help the Ministry of Defence assess, this is what they told the public eventually, Britain's vulnerability. If the Russians were to have released clouds of deadly germs over the country, what, what tripe, eh? What utter rubbish. Yeah, let's see if it'll kill off our own folk, because the Russians might do it. No, they were testing stuff that would be going to use down the road on the whole planet, folks. It says, in most cases, the trials did not use biological weapons, but alternatives. Well, they were biological, actually, which scientists believe would mimic germ warfare and which the Ministry of Defence claimed were harmless. But families in certain areas of the country who have children with birth defects are demanding a public inquiry. One chapter of the report says the fluorescent particle trials, listen to this, reveals how between 1955 and 1963, aircraft flew from northeast England to the tip of Cornwall, along the south and west coast, dropping huge amounts of zinc-cadmium sulfide. Cadmium's kind of familiar with the spraying today, isn't it? On the population. The chemical drifted miles inland as fluorescence, allowing the spread to be monitored in another trial using zinc-cadmium sulfide. A generator was towed along a road near Frome in Somerset where it spewed the chemicals for over an hour. Of course, the wind carried it across an area, and then they'd see who got sick. In another chapter, Large Area Coverage Trials, the Minister of Defence describes how between 61 and 1968, more than a million people along the south coast of England, from Turkey to the New Forest, were exposed to bacteria, including E. coli and Bacillus globigii, which mimics uh, anthrax. So they're actually, these were actually live bacterium under the guise of, well, it's going to mimic anthrax, yeah. These releases came from a military ship, the Ice Whale, anchored off the Dorset coast, which sprayed the microorganisms in a 5 to 10 mile radius. The report also reveals details of the DICE trials in South Dorset between 71 and 1975. These included um, involved US and UK military scientists spraying into the air massive quantities of Ceratia marcensis bacteria with an anthrax stimulant and phenol. Uh, I, I, that anthrax simulant, eh? I mean, a, a more, you know, a less dangerous type of bacteria, eh? Similar bacteria were released in the Savadage trials between 52 and 64. 
These were tests to determine the vulnerability of large government buildings and public transport to attack. In 1956, bacteria were released on the London Underground at lunchtime along the northern line between Collier's Wood and Tooting Broadway. The results show that their organism dispersed about 10 miles. Similar to where tests were conducted in tunnels running under the government buildings in Whitehall. Experiments conducted between 64 and 1973 involved attaching germs to the threads of spiders' webs and boxes to test how the germs would survive in different environments. These tests were carried out in a dozen locations across the country, including London's West End, of course you get one, was it, yeah, Southampton and Swindon. The report also gives details of more than a dozen smaller field trials between 68 and 77. In recent years, the Ministry of Defence has commissioned two scientists to review the safety of these tests, both reported that there was no risk to public health, although one suggested the elderly or people suffering from breathing illnesses may have been seriously harmed, that's like death, you know, if they inhaled sufficient quantities of microorganisms. This is how some families in the areas which bore the brunt of the secret tests are convinced experiments have led to their children suffering birth defects, physical handicaps and learning difficulties. The test they did it with the U.S. government in Canada over Winnipeg in about 53, I think it was, or 54, um, had the same thing. Uh, a lot of the people, the parents, ended up with cancers big time, and some now, uh, the children and offspring, also ended up with cancers and defects as well. Uh, that's your governments at work. And they did the same thing, of course, in the U.S. Quite something, Quite something. And it's still ongoing, of course, because at the very end of the article, they ask if there's anything being carried out. So a spokesperson, that's a public relations officer, was asked whether such trials are still being ta- carried out. And she said, it's not our policy to discuss ongoing research. <laughs> there you go. Well, you're just imagining you're seeing all these spraying in the sky and stuff. It's just, it's at your imagination. And NASA even put a, a, a video to be shown in all schools to show them what condensation trails are, to get them used to seeing these long trails in the sky that are definitely not condensation trails, but they'll never know that. They'll believe what they're told. They're going to grow up for this because it's going to go on for years. This plan's going to go on for years. Here's Ireland and this uh, sovereign independence it says, from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. on Wednesday, the 29th of September, 65-year-old Brida Murphy will be chained to the gates of the, the Dublin Parliament. Her protest has been provoked by the ongoing aerial spraying being conducted over much of Ireland, just like we are here too in Canada and the States. Several governments across the planet have been spraying the civilian population with different, often harmful, biological and chemical agents since the 1940s. The British government has even admitted to some of these so-called tests. One of the most common techniques in use today is that of civilian airlines being employed to carry out the spraying. Such airliners can be identified by what appears at first glance to be additional exhaust trails. Most of them actually are not, are not uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, traditional air- airliners because I've seen them do loops and, and do X's and turn out the stuff on and off and change course. Uh, so, And these ones are white. They're unmarked, the ones that you see. It says, however, the, ab- the abnormal addition trails emanate from locations on, other plane, on the other plane other than the engines. It's true that there's other things. It's not coming from the engines. The abnormal trails also take much longer to dissipate than regular condensation trails. Concerned observers have dubbed these abnormal trails chemtrails, where intensive spraying is being carried out over the cities, for instance. The lingering chemtrails often result in crisscross patterns in the sky. So, Breda Murphy who lives in the town of Kildare for much of her life, uh, around the, the, well, on the 14th of 
of, on the 14th of June this year, after an intense program of aerial spraying over Kildare began, she noticed almost immediately uh, the effects of it. She even witnessed large black helicopters, low down, of course. I've seen that here too once. Spraying the town. Within days of the commencement of the spraying, she and many of her neighbours started to experience severe adverse health effects. These include nosebleeds, that's common, migraines, very common, and serious respiratory complaints. You can't clear them up because it attacks the bronchial tubes. It, 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 uh, it breaks down the mucous membrane, bacteria set in, and you've got this ongoing bronchitis. Uh, Brida herself endured headaches, breathlessness. That's another one to his breathlessness. Severe aches and pains and an elevated temperature. One side of her face swelled up and her eyes became so badly swollen she had to trouble seeing out of them because you get that when you get sinus problems. It says she was forced to consult an emergency doctor and was diagnosed with elevated blood pressure and infections of the sinuses and upper respiratory tract. She spent a miserable summer cooped up in her house, leaving it only when absolutely necessary. In the last few weeks, the spring of her Kildare has recommenced Breeder and her neighbours are once again living in fear for their health. Breeder demands that the government immediately puts a stop to the spraying of Kildare and the other targeted areas of the country, as do otherwise, as to do so, to do otherwise constitutes a serious breach of hers and all others affected Irishmen and women's basic human rights. It's, it's not, this is, this is a, this is a desperate. You know how many folk are dying from this? Do you know? It's definitely, those who are elderly are, are young, who, who um, are more sensitive to others, they'd, they'd be fine without the spraying. No symptoms at all. They get all the problems of, of asthma and so on. Um, they'd be fine, but no, they're, they're, they're getting such chronic uh, infections that it's closing up their tracheas and the whole thing. And they die. And just like uh, the article I read, uh, I mentioned, or the the doctor I mentioned before, the surgeon who harvests harvests hearts, uh, and the massive suicide rate, that won't be in the paper either, because this is a top agenda, a top agenda. The government will not mention it, and it's a world agenda. And there is cadmium in this stuff too, which is a cancer-causing agent. Anyway, a lot of folk can't see it because they've never looked up at the sky in their lives, and they don't know what to compare it with. What a shame, eh? What a shame. Now, this ongoing agenda, as I say, um, such as the Marxist part of the agenda, had to deculturalize and degrade society gradually in Western countries uh, because a, a country that's totally degraded is easy then to manage. As you bring them down, no morals, they won't stick together, won't fight, fight together, won't stand up for each other. And you destroy the family unit was one of the main things they had to destroy. There's an article here, it's called The 70s, The Decade When Men Stop Being Men. Very interesting they're coming out with this stuff now, because the media, media knew darn well what it was all about when it was happening. And it goes on about some, how men were effeminized, etc., and how they really destroyed the end of the family, got everybody into the workforce. It doesn't mention the fact that they doubled the tax base, though, which is awfully handy. And uh, people preferred having uh, money and objects in cars, like Charles Colton Darwin suggested they should, they should do, than having children. And then you go into um, this other article, if you can find it here. It's about uh, the 70s as well. The 70s where um, 
they'd gone about the way they degraded, degraded society. Forget the swinging 60s, it says. It was the 70s that saw an explosion, promiscuity, abortion, and pornography. That was all part of the manifesto, to bring it down in the strategy for the Western countries. And this is the 27th of September, and it's from the Mail Online. It was a decade that feminism feminized men and made, uh, and made women uh, more masculine. On Saturday, historian Dominic Sandbrook described how in the 70s, feminists helped to reverse the traditional co- concepts of gender. In the final part of his series, it argues it was not the swinging 60s, but the decade after that witnessed the real sexual revolution. Why do they call it revolutions? Communist revolutions? Most of the revolutions for communism were social revolutions. He says, we still love to recall the pleasures of the swinging 60s and the public memory they're indelibly stamped as a decade of the sexual revolution, a watershed era of freedom that changed society forever. See, under the guise of liberal, we're freeing everybody, you know, right? But this stereotype of the permissive, self-indulgent 60s is enormously misleading. In reality, it was a time when, by and large, the great majority of the British population remained remarkably conservative in attitude and in behavior. Most teenage boys not only expected their bride to be a virgin, but agreed that a boy should marry a girl if he got her pregnant. Surveys showed that these youngsters generally led lives of remarkable chastity, with more than two-thirds of boys and three-quarters of girls still a virgin. This is by the end of so-called swinging decade, only one in ten people was even vaguely promiscuous. But step into the 70s and the brakes come off. The key to all this is the pill, they say, but it was also the agenda. Back with more after this break. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. Just reading an article, just finishing it up on Mail Online about the pill, but also the whole culture industry was right into effect at that time from the top down. It didn't start at the grassroots, from the top down with the drugs, rock and roll, all that kind of stuff, and promiscuity, and aren't we naughty as they brought on guests who fell off their chairs with, with drugs, you know. And, and these guys in the BBC, uh, who ran the BBC, who run for the government station, we're all from Eton, you know, the aristocracy type. And that's who gave you the so-called permissive era. Push from the top down. But it does mention in here that the government uh, really uh, pressurized the Family Planning Association, which again is all part of their structure for depopulation, instructed its hundreds of clinics to make the pill available to single women. And this was a landmark moment within... A few years, it was up to 74% were taking it, single women, and then by the end of the 80s, there was 90% or more. And they went through about the revolution, etc., how it changed everything, and basically society's all completely divided, conquered. Uh, it doesn't mention that part, of course, and uh, it doesn't tell you why uh, or the reasons behind it, and that's how the West was taken down. And that's why you can now have a head guy uh, who is the head of the... British Labour Party, who is the son of a Marxist theorist, which means agent, who was teaching it to groups across Europe. That's really why it happened. That's part of it. Now, there's a, a caller for, uh, called Clint. Clint from Ontario. Are you there, Clint? Hello? Uh, thank you for taking my call again. Yes. I just wanted to get on base with you with NASA there uh, about the clouds, the cloud formations. Um, mm-hmm. They have actually 
a new pamphlet that they plan on putting in the schools here in North America with new cloud formations. Yes. And it, it literally shows you the chemtrails in the air, and they've given them all different names. Yeah. And it's quite remarkable how they're going to start indoctrinating <laughs> the kids today with the new clouds. Like The new clouds, the swirly ones that are so high, and the, the, the what's that, the, the numerolescent clouds or something I've got as well. Yeah, the glow in the dark at night and stuff like that, yeah. Wonderful, all new, yeah. Yeah, yeah people could actually Google that or YouTube and they could see it. It's it's quite amazing. Now, I was just wondering, um, I know Fritz Tiermier is behind Codex Alimentarius, uh, the old German chemist. Mm-hmm. Now, I was wondering perhaps if maybe he had anything to do with these chemtrails at all, because I'm not quite sure exactly when they started. They started in earnest. They actually started as far back as the 1950s as tests over certain parts of Britain and Canada. I say Winnipeg was a big, uh, the big place in Canada. The, te- the, sp- the whole time was sprayed for 10 days solid and all become sick and lots of them got cancer. Um, the government submitted the, the U.S. and they participated in that test. In Britain, they did the big X's in the sky that you would see as a target the spot. My town was targeted too when I was young. And, uh, um, and so they tested the stuff out to see the effects and then study you through the national health systems, long-term effects down through your life. They started in earnest every day now since 1998. That's when it really broke out in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cause, and you can see they fly in pairs. Like for me here in my area, I always see them in pairs mm-hmm. and, and it's, they're always crisscrossing. You'll see the, and, and I've literally seen them flying beside each other. Yes. I've, I've mentioned it to family members and friends, and they're just like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. the same mumble-jumble. It's all just condensation or whatever. Yes. And sometimes one will switch off its spray, and there's no trail behind it, and the other one's still going at the same height. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. Thanks for calling. But that's the craziness of the world. It's easy to control the people. Uh, all they do is say nothing, and uh, that's good enough for the public. You know, Lady Gaga will keep you occupied. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to mean your God or your gods go with you.